0: Is that what I'm saying?
1: Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio.
0: Rough Trade Radio.
1: Rough Trade Radio. Is it Rough Trade Radio? Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio. Rough Trade Radio. How's that? Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Rough Trade Radio. Uh I'm joined by Susie and Anne from Sea Red Women's Workshop. Anyone who's been in the shop uh, in Rough Trade East in the last few months will have seen uh, an amazing red book published by Four Corners, which was our book of the month last month in November, um, all about this incredible um, kind of collective workshop that these women helped to start up. I'm going to read a little bit about it from the back of the book. Excuse me for not learning this, but hopefully it won't be too dry just hearing me read something. So founded in 1974, Sea Red Women's Workshop grew out of a shared desire to combat sexist images of women and to create positive and challenging alternatives. Women from different backgrounds came together to make posters and calendars that tackled issues of sexuality, identity and oppression. With humour and bold graphics they expressed the personal experiences of women as well as their role in wider struggles for change. So, uh, hello you two. Hi. Hi. Uh, you said that you have similar voices but I don't think you do. Good. Could you please introduce yourself so the audience knows which is which. My name's Susie Mackie. Great.
2: And I'm Anne Robinson.
1: Great, fantastic! Thank you for coming in today. Um, Thank you for having us. Everyone in Rough Trade has just been so um, mesmerised by this book. Um, can, I was kind of wondering, uh, maybe we'll go back to the very beginning and talk about the workshop itself. Then we can talk about the book later and how that came about. So maybe in your own words, I know that that kind of what I just read out is is a good sum of like summing up of it. But how did you all kind of first meet and get together, and what was the time like when you did?
3: Um, myself, and Julia, and Prue. Mm -hmm. Founded Sea Red Women's Workshop in 1974. Um, We saw an advert in a feminist magazine um, asking for women screen printers who were interested in feminist issues to meet up. We met up. Long story short, we eventually founded Sea Red Women's Workshop about six months later um, and decided to specifically focus on screen printing.
1: So when you started, was there quite a lot of people who were
3: already very interested in getting involved. And how did you get the word out at that time? It was in a magazine. Okay. And then we just went to the meeting. There was no blogging, texting, internet, websites or anything. In those so you days. all just turned up? What we you just think? turned up <laughs> and we met Prue mm-hmm. and we met a couple of other women as well. Um, but we decided um, after having explored the possibility of doing photography and starting a collection of images of women that We really wanted to focus just on screen printing, Mm -hmm. because screen printing at that point in time was the quickest way to get an image down and out, basically. You could do a design, put it on the screen that night, print it the next day, it was out. Um, There was nothing quicker than that in those days.
1: And had you been at art school prior to that, and that's where you learned how to screen
3: print and how to do those things? And yes, three of us had all been at art school. Which art school was it? Um, different art schools, basically, okay. all of us. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that the, what brought us together is we wanted to be able to use what we could do and could mm-hmm. do well for the women's movement. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was very important to us at that point in our lives. We were all in consciousness raising groups. Um, we all tried to live collectively, if possible. Um, and we we very much were looking at that kind of angle of women being together and organising things.
1: Were there any other groups at the same time
2: who were kind of going or? Well, I came to see Red a little bit later, but I'd oh. also been at art school because as a collective, obviously over the years, there was more and more women joined. And in the late 70s, I was at art school in uh, Glasgow and I'd started doing silkscreen printing there, but I'd also got involved in politics of the women's movement. I was involved in local women's centre. I was like doing graffiti and stuff and also kind of queer politics or early lesbian and gay things as well. And saw an advert in Spare Rib magazine, which I think was a really important Mm -hmm. kind of means of communication in those days. The small ads, like Susie says, it was before the internet and so on. So I came to London to work, to to join Red and to work work at the workshop doing silkscreen printing and posters. And so I effectively left art school to do that, although I eventually went back as well.
1: Amazing. So what was the space like when you first began? And where was it?
3: Um, It was in a, it was a squat in a disused shop on Camden Road. We were there in terms of our life. We were there about five minutes. Yeah. Um, We basically decided to do a slightly anti-Christmas window display, because it was December. And um, very, very proud of it, came back the next day, the window had been smashed. So a massive shop window, basically. What was
1: it? Why had someone smashed it? Yeah. To take an offence to us trying to... Oh, they had, because I was wondering if they were just trying to burgle you day, or they were no, actually? No, 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 they
3: were just... A, they got annoyed about the window. It was right next to a bus stop. What was so the people, window display... I can't remember exactly, but it was very much look, attacking the commercialism of Christmas. Um, the fact that, you know, it's not really a holiday at all for women. We're still, yeah. uh, we're still in the kitchen cooking the turkey. It's just different food, different place kind of thing. Um, wow. Those kind of things, but trying to do it with visuals as well. Um, but for someone to be that angry to smash... I mean, to, to use
1: force to break anything means like you've got a lot of anger. But the idea of seeing artwork and mm-hmm. and just seeing someone trying to convey a message and and being so angry that you'd you'd smash a, a building is—I
3: just think it's, it's interesting because it's, when you look at the first photograph in the book, it's of a demonstration very early on, and it looks like it's it's from Victorian times or something. Yeah, <laughs> the
2: police we've got and, it here. Yeah, and,
3: and it's all black and white, and it's it's. It, is a, it was a kind of different era, really.
2: I mean, that, that kind of sense of being under attack actually kind of mm. really continued. I and mean, there's, there's an account in the book, but quite a bit later than that, we were, when we were in the yard at Isle of Yard, she'll come on to, but um, we were. Just off the Walworth Road and actually at that time I think the NF had some sort of headquarters up in East Street Market mm. and we came in one day and the place had been completely broken into, completely smashed up. They, Well, they'd pissed all over the paperwork and stuff basically and poured ink all over the place. I mean, thank God they hadn't tried to set it in fire, yeah. which was a big fear. Yeah. But they'd carved, and pe- people might remember, they'd carved the initials NF where the NNF were joined together, which was a classic graffiti thing that you saw in those wow. days into the wood of the walls just beside the door. And we sort of remembered that when the police came round, um, the policeman kind of said, oh, well, it might be someone's initials, love, and kind of just re- oh, and, and, and then said, well, do you print things that might upset people? <laughs> yeah. oh, we goodness. hope to. We hope to. But anyway, so it, there was a d- definitely a different era, like Susie said, looking at the photos. And it, I think yeah. at, at the
3: beginning, there was more of a of a general sort of women should know their place kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so there was a lot of things we were angry about that you might call the sort of the foundation of the women's movement which was women's role, gender roles etc.
1: Yeah of course So tell me about how uh, when you first
3: started around the time where the brick was was thrown in the window um, back on Camden Road. Yeah we found another premise. Okay. Um, We went to Radnor Terrace, Mm -hmm. it's no longer there it's a different housing, I think Morby Brough Housing Estate in South Mm -hmm. London Um, and we were there for on and off a year. It was another squat, and it was an end of terrace. It was virtually derelict. I remember we had to go and rip some floorboards up. We were upstairs. The room was so small that you couldn't actually take a photograph in the room. You're just too near everybody. (laughs) So the one picture that I did take was in the mirror of the back of somebody screen printing. So it was very... um, It was... It was rough, but that was the times basically, and you know, no ventilation, no health and safety. We'd wow. stagger out of um, an unheated building, gasping for fresh air, out onto the Vauxhall Bridge Road. You know, so it's wow. like thinking that was fresh air from what we'd been stuck in with oh all day.
2: Goodness. The chemicals are pretty mm. horrible. Yeah. That's why there's all the lovely photographs in the book of people wearing, women wearing those, um, yeah, World War Two. Gas masks, which yeah, at I can that imagine in such a small space. Yeah, old... that was later though. Really. Oh, yeah. yeah, much later. Yeah. That
3: was when we got to Isle of Yard, which was our third and final place. We were there the longest time, and we did that up. Um, we're very proud to do that up with women, women in manual trades, and um, I think it was Lambeth Carpentry Collective, something like that. Forgive us if we've got it wrong, but it was great to be able to do it with women's groups who are all set up to do women's things that women, you know, have been told historically you can't do that, um, but who were setting up collectives and doing very well. And we worked with them on that and did plumbing and fitting the gas and all that kind of thing. So that was an adventure in itself. But we we were there until 1984. So a good long chunk of time from 77 I think 76 77 In the book, I think. Mm.
1: And was that squatting as well then?
3: No that was actually uh, The rent was quite cheap it we was were trying to remember corn. the other day yeah.
1: how
2: much the rent was and we can't, can't. but
1: how easy was it to find your first two spaces in terms of the ones that you, that you squatted easy. for a while? In those days, was it just much it, easier it, than it, it is well, now? Well, there was a to... sort of
2: network.
3: Yeah. Um, Prune, knew had a connection with the Camden one and um, the women's movement had the connection with Radnor Terrace because downstairs oh, okay. was South London Women's Centre oh. at Radnor Terrace for about five minutes as well. Um, but difficult to, to actually give you lots of facts and details because, of course, we didn't yeah. keep re- notes.
2: Isle of Yard might have been via women in print because someone yes, came yes, yes, to when was. we were showing the posters the other day oh, in mm, Isle of Yard it was. in someone's studio, and they someone came and said that. And mm. women in print were also in Isle of Yard as well, who were a different organisation. Offset litho, hey? uh, offset litho, so more like pamphlets and you know, yeah, booklets, smaller stuff, yeah. small posters.
1: And at the beginning, where did you get the equipment, like the screen printing beds and and um, all the stuff
3: that you I th- need? I think begged, borrowed. Stole probably, but we had a few connections having been at art school with people who are now in printing or said, oh, we've heard there's two reams of paper over there, um, etc. We didn't get a proper vacuum bed until we got to Isle of Yard. Oh, really? So we didn't have the automatic arm, mm-hmm. etc. But we used to make our frames and carry them around and do printing. And that was part of the excitement of the early days. Cool. Basically, We'd stretch up some frames and go after to a women's conference and then do workshops with the women who came to the conference on themes they wanted to do and then they'd all take a poster home and everybody would be happy. So,
1: And how would that process work in terms of um, people getting involved in the group? Would you, would, would you start by sitting around and discussing issues that had been on people's minds and then you try and convey them into posters or would you kind of suggest topics for the women to make posters about?
3: I think it's worth saying, it's very important actually to say that there are over 40 women in the collective mm-hmm. um, between 74 and 90 so that's quite a lot of women. We never really had room for more than five or six at a time. Yeah. But it didn't ever seem to be a problem
2: with people sort of queuing up. It just seems to work, really. I I, I mean, I responded, for example, to an advert in Spare Rib. And I was really excited about that because I knew some of the posters and obviously was looking for ways of combining kind of doing art with and doing, you know, using images in particular ways mm-hmm. um with politics. So um I think that some people stayed for longer times and mm. some people stayed for shorter times mm. really. Mm. So some of us stayed for a few years and mm. some people were only there for you know maybe a few months. Yeah. But yeah.
3: But it wasn't like you have to stay this amount of time or whatever. Yeah. Some people came with ideas. For posters, Um, some people came, they wanted to learn screen printing. Mm. Some people just came to help out, you know, so it was very varied, really. And I think it was word of mouth and the sort of women's movement network in Mm. the early days Mm -hmm. because nobody had heard of us, unlike when Anne arrived when she had heard of us through the wonderful women's network. So in the earlier days, it was very much just um, people would just turn up and knock on the door. Or drop, note, or drop so a note, or drop a note saying we've heard of your collective. Yeah. Are you around? And we turn up two days later to do some printing and find it. And well, either phone them or write them a letter.
1: Yeah,
2: gosh, I know. <laughs> it's such a different time.
4: Very different. <laughs> time. I love
2: the idea of it. Collective practice, I thought, was really important mm. as well, sort of going away from that kind of individualistic totally. idea of artists. And people are really into that, and that's a very, very big thing in mm. kind of the art world now mm. almost. Mm. But actually, then it really wasn't in art schools and galleries and people, you know, they wouldn't really think in those terms at yeah. all. But also, um, I think joining the collective as a collective member was really important for people who stayed around, for women who mm. stayed around for a bit longer. Mm. Yeah. Um, Definitely.
3: I think um, also to follow up what Anne was saying, that the whole idea of being an artist with a capital A, Mm -hmm. um, and this is my piece of work and I made this, we were very much around deconstructing all of that and debunking that because that seemed to be a very masculine way of looking at the whole art world yeah uh, you know we wanted we always said that we all produced the designs we all produced the ideas we all produced the posters mm-hmm. because literally we did somebody might have an idea come to the group with it talk about it maybe produce a sketch somebody else would then take it off and work it up a bit um come back with that do a do a sort of final design then somebody else might print it Somebody That's might so print great, the next one. Yeah. Well, it's, it's on purpose. Normally people but would be it, funny it, about it, that, wouldn't they? Well, this is the thing, and it's interesting. This, I always remember what a, a friend from art school said, a, a male artist said that um, he you know, he got the idea, got the idea. He said, but who holds the pencil? Somebody must hold the pencil. Yeah. That would be their defining way of saying this is mine because yeah. I held the pencil, but... We never really, we never did that, basically.
2: And actually, even some of the posters that have got kind of graphic images on them as distinct from the photographic images, obviously you can decide, well, we're going to use this photograph and that photograph, Mm. and that's going to be big and that's going Mm. to be smaller. So you can decide that, and then it doesn't really matter who goes into the processed Mm. art room Mm. and does all the kind of various stages of the printing process. But even the ones where it's graphic... You know, looking back, you can see different drawing styles or different mm. people drawing mm. within one poster, which Absolutely. I think is really exciting as yeah, well. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. kind of
1: the appeal yeah. of it as well. And also what I was finding fascinating is just the the quality of the posters. It's like, mm. you know, the design and the, the imagination and the kind of... You know, like all everything about it—the typography, the drawings, the layout—everything is. They all look great. You know what I mean? Okay. Like if you think for just a collection of people to come together and work on things, as you say, all together, you might it might come out a bit kind of, I don't know, like a hodgepodge of stuff. But yeah, it's all just—they mm. all just look fantastic. And I was wondering also where. Once, all the, once the posters were created, what would tend to happen to them? Would they be copied and copied and copied and then handed out and given out to people to put out in the they street? Were or
2: sold through, I mean, I think probably different stages, so we perhaps we'll both talk about it. But, I mean, they, for quite a long time they were sold through a, what was then a, quite a big network of alternative bookstores in the UK and elsewhere as well and abroad as well. Wow. I mean, News From Nowhere is still there in yeah. Liverpool. And that was... And um, so that's and it still looks quite like a kind of bookshop from that time, it which does. is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but Love there it. were there were loads in London I and mean, Houseman's is still there sort of near King's Cross. But there were lots more of those Silver alternative. Mm. S- Sister, Sister Wright. Wright, of course, was a women's bookshop in Upper Street in Israel yeah. There were more then. Um, yeah. And, and, and they would they would look at the catalogue. There's an example of the catalogue in the book, I think. And they would look at the catalogue and choose which ones they wanted to. They, they knew they could sell basically, mm. yeah. and they wanted copies of and just do an order. And we would roll them up into poster tubes. And there's a lovely picture in the book of Jess uh, carrying those off to the post office um, as in, well in the trolley, basically. So,
1: have you had people coming forward and say, or like you know, sending you old posters that they found in their attics and things? I mean, they must be scattered all over the world, which is nice. Well, yeah, we think so because
3: we did send all over the world, can't mm. find it. And but you made a
1: lot of them and then well. You know?
3: it, it, In relative terms. I mean, like, never could make print as many as Offset Litho, for example, but that was still in the early stages, so you didn't get the quality of the colours with Offset Litho at all. Um, The other thing is that um, with the distribution, a lot of it was done from the catalogue, but also individual orders. Mm -hmm. So people would see a poster and... Would write us a letter. Okay. Ordering, can I have 10 of these for our school? Or, you know, it it, it started off really small, but in fact, people did make, make orders from across the world eventually. I think we had China and New Zealand and it's certainly the amazing, States, exciting yeah. places. They're
1: probably up on a kind of dusty classroom wall somewhere
3: in China
2: <laughs> or something.
3: <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly. But um, and it,
2: service. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was going to say, and service printing as well. That yeah. because of the, just the networks that people would um, get in touch to get posters printed mm-hmm. for women's organisations. I mean, I remember Safe Women's Transport, mm-hmm. um, Greenwich Women's Day. Yeah gay vegetarians wanted t-shirts that we did we did some t-shirts as well um bands sometimes events women's yeah. concerts that stuff.
1: and i'm interested about um i know you mentioned the kind of well two episodes of, of backlash that you got but was there any, was there anything else that happened over all the time where you were kind of facing a lot of negativity or people kind of telling you that what you were doing was any in any way wrong or or kind of well, your immediate family and were they all fine with what was going on? I, I just because I wasn't born in those times, I don't know what the environment was like and what if you were up against, like personally, up against quite a lot of. Not really. So family, family, two,
3: fine, absolutely yeah. fine. I think that one of the things that did happen, I don't know, was it around about late seventies, early eighties, is there was a bit of a angle which said some of our posters were a bit depressing. Uh, as in, we were illustrating the situation as we saw it, possibly exaggeratedly, um, looking at women's position in the home, gender roles, etc., yeah. or sexuality and issues. But so, what we did make a concerted decision was to put some some positive into our into our posters. So, for example, girls are powerful. Um, underneath they're all lovable. Underneath they're all lovable, Mrs. Thatcher. Mrs. Oh yes.
2: Tough. What was the miss- Mrs. Mrs Thatcher. My message to the women of our nation. That's it.
3: Which yeah. is? It's tough. <laughs> it's, we, we sent to Conservative Central Office, you know, a fake letter saying we we would be really, really pleased if you could send us a beautiful photograph of our leader, Margaret Thatcher, oh, so we could put God. it up on our walls. We didn't sign at Sea Red Women's Workshop. We no. think it was just from one of us. But we got the <laughs> lovely picture back.
1: They sent a With photo. a very fine
3: dot in it, so we re- could reproduce it Exactly. As was, and we stuck it in a mock guilt frame with all the cuts and the damage that she'd done done to the to women and children over the years, Sad, which are very similar, sadly, very similar, still
2: relevant. Yes, yeah, add a few more
3: add a few more noughts to to all the the figures we talked about then in terms of cuts in education mm. and uh, health and everything, but. Um, we wanted to bring humor as well, yeah, and um, I think we always had a slight element of that, but humor makes it make the posters a lot more accessible, I think, didn't it, yeah, I think so mm. in
2: terms of negativity, I think there was definitely more hostility then if you didn't look properly feminine. That's mm. one thing I would say, and I, I do think that I mean, I can think of well, I can think of in terms of i guess it's kind of anti-feminist or anti-strong women or homophobia as well, um, you know, women being attacked, actually. I mean, I, mm. I got beaten up for basically looking queer. Mm. um, mm. Wow. um Suffered a lot of kind of verbal abuse, as as did, I think, we took it for granted at that time. If you didn't, you know, if you're gay, but also just if you didn't look properly you know, girly enough, mm, really. Mm, I think mm. uh, as well. Wow. When, I think we take that for granted. So I'm gonna. I, I think it's true. It's, it's worth a good saying. Point. I think, yeah, probably I, think so. I mean, now mm. you can walk down the high street of any small town, probably, and you know, you will get some. Yeah. You might get some kind of facility, but mostly people won't bat an mm. eyelid about kind of what length your hair is, or I mean, and especially not just taking having fence short or... hair then was pretty, pretty kind of wild mm. in some ways. Mm. But, and also, at art school, I was definitely told that if I wanted to produce political propaganda, I ought to have done graphic design oh, I see. Mm. whereas at, at art school <laughs> at art school, of course, I did do graphic design, but there was never any
3: um support or um enthusiasm for a woman being a printer or a graphic designer, no, I basically can um we were slightly there as as somebody remarked, eye candy, but we're talking seventy. <laughs> To, to oh 71 goodness.
2: to 73. So it's ages ago. When I started art school in 77. So, mm. yeah, it's kind
3: of. A lot changed in those six years, I think. As in that you had actually heard of us. Yes. Which is kind of interesting because we, I think, all we looked at was Red Rag. Mm. And then also we had an influence from uh, um, the radical posters from May 68 from the Paris yeah. Revolution. And also from um Latino and black American um protest mm-hmm. posters, etc of that time, so there were international posters we could look at, but yeah. there wasn't anything we felt
2: that was and coming other, out of England in seventy four collectives, other collectives as well I guess also yes, later posters on yes. from. but I know there's an issue of spare rib um where um there's some women artists that I knew were art school at the time but and and me also all doing kind of performance type stuff and we weren't allowed to, we basically weren't allowed to do that. It wasn't able to be counted as part of our work mm. or anything like that. So mm. things were shifting very, imagine. very slowly. But imagine yeah. that now, it's yeah. kind of crazy.
3: It is crazy.
2: Oh uh, yeah, I just
1: can't imagine no. any of it. But I can see why in a time like that you would be more, um, I don't know, you'd, you'd be more pushed to do something about it and to fight back mm. a bit, which is exciting. And I think sometimes people struggle with how to protest now, or how mm. to get their voice heard, or what to do. I think because it's all just a bit blurry now, and it's not, I don't know, I don't know where mm. I'm going with this. Anyway, sure. <laughs> um, so, I wanted to ask you about um, a lot of the posters deal with the idea of housework and being a housewife and the, the pressures and the kind of, I don't know, exhaustion of that and it being overlooked. But I assume if you had come out straight out of art school, you hadn't, I assume, experienced that lifestyle so what was it about the housewife sort of terminology that made you was it it because it was the easiest thing to um, illustrate and put to the public and it could easily get a message across or it was the most relatable thing what was it about it?
3: I don't think we ever went for the easy thing Mm. we just went for issues that we were discussing at the time in our women's conscious raising groups which was local
2: Mm-hmm. in South
3: London um, and also issues that were important to us. And it's quite interesting what you say about, you know, the the expected route is get married, have kids, possibly work, but probably mostly do that kind of thing. I think what was interesting that we found, even in the early days of the women's movement, is that there was the roles for women within the left or socialist movement was very similar which was, yeah, great, you've come to the meeting, but could you make us some tea? (laughs) Not kidding, those things were said. Um, Also went to a meeting um, uh, where I'd heard that Red Rag magazine, which was a feminist magazine at the time, was going to be speaking on a platform about feminism and socialism, communism, etc., turned up for the meeting. Red Rag weren't there, but I didn't really know why. And then I realised that basically the platform and the people who'd organised it were basically saying that feminism was uh, diversionary to the bigger struggle and was, you know, a a tactic to sort of weaken the struggle, socialism and communism, basically, and it should be just left alone and ignored. So I was so shocked about this, I wrote to Red Rag, and they said, well, yeah, that's why we didn't go on the platform. We found out what they were saying. Sorry, we didn't let you know. So even within left and socialist or what you might call radical households, there was still a a really sexist expectation of behaviour, you know, or you might be radical out in the day, but you know, where's the dinner? Mm. And one of the points we wanted to make also was that living in a collective household with um, men and women at the time, as some of us did, it was very important to us that everything was shared, that it wasn't just a kind of as I said, you know, by day radical, by night doing the dishes. Yeah, so everything was on a rotor, housework was done by everybody, all the chores, et cetera. And it was then only then when we started examining those kind of roles, we looked at other roles in relationships and in, in terms of sexuality as well. I think it was an issue for many women, the whole thing about
2: those household
3: yeah, chores. Yeah,
2: I, I definitely had never kind of lived in that situation, but... Going back to what things were like at the time, I think it was still really important because to to look at those issues. Because, I mean, if you think about the Sea Red poster, you know, stuff, this says Jane, you know, the the Peter and Jane one, we'd all grown up with that as an expectation. So we were just on the cusp, even, you know, coming a little bit later to this, we were definitely saying, we don't it was still hanging over mm. us as an expectation i mean even friends of mine from art school from the late 70s were kind of leaving art school and getting married and mm. maybe teaching for a couple of years and then having children and that was kind of so that it was kind of happening in stages but that idea that that's you would be in that very very restricted in the home uh, role was mm. definitely something we didn't want to do but i would also say there's a kind of class element mm. to Actually, women have always worked as well, and the, just the expectation that women would do the housework as well as being out mm. of work as well so yeah. it was, it, it, it's quite a kind of it's more of a complicated picture perhaps yeah. but but still, those issues were very important, even if you were just refusing that mm. kind of refusing that kind of role and the mm. trivialization i think it is quite hard the more we talk about it it is quite hard to understand from here just how trivialised yeah. women were then, whether you were an artist yeah. or working in any kind of role, that you just... What do you mean? Trivialised in the sense of perhaps if you were working, you were just working for a bit of extra pin money, it wasn't really serious. If you were a woman artist, you weren't really serious compared to guys. Gosh, yeah. Um You mm-hmm. know, even, you know, it's like 40 years, 40 years ago, really, so...
1: Because it's not even very long ago,
4: though. Is it? It's not. Like, no. well, it's not. Well, it's no, not. It really A isn't
2: lot. It. Uh, I mean, so much changed, changed in
3: 74 to 90, just mm. that slot. Yeah. So much changed. Mm. I mean, the fact that we had to write letters mm. and then wait for an answer. Uh, and then when people mm. ordered the posters, they had to send to us mm. and then pay and then wait for us to send them to them. I think the other thing is that if people hadn't bought the posters, we wouldn't have kept on producing. That was our kind of test, really, wasn't
2: it? Also, I think those definitely were really important issues in the early posters, but they're Mm. not the only ones. And I think they did change over time in the sense that there's lots of kind of interlocking, or, you know, there's a lot of intersectionality, if you like, a lot of interlocking kind of issues with kind of, Um, personal experience, obviously the personal is political, Mm. women's health issues, Mm. anti-racist posters, posters about sexuality Mm. and and so on. And they're not kind of separate from each other in a way. If you look look at them in the book, there's a lot of kind of overlap. Mm, Images of women, sexist, combating sexist images of women. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's in a way one of the first things that I kind of got involved in with partly, you know, kind of graffiti on adverts and things like that, but then putting your own posters up as well.
3: Yeah. One of the first posters we printed, which wasn't even a design of our own, was just a sheet of Letra set. Do you know what letter set? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. um, which was of um, images of women. Just, you know, the type that you could just, just scratch, off. scratch off into your modern design for you know, today's home. Why oh, is it so beautiful, so appealing? It's because it's got these gorgeous, skinny, bouffant women with their handsome men and these are all the type of women that would do that kind of thing so we just put the question underneath which one are you so simple yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't one of our ones that we sold a lot but some of the ones we just did for a couple of couple of runs and people had them didn't yeah. have them. but there were definitely more popular ones and and less popular ones but
1: are there any that were the, like very, very, very popular? Because also yes. I'm, I'm conscious that some listeners may not have seen the book, so right. obviously we'll put some images up with it, but if you could describe maybe what? some of the ones that you think yeah. were possibly the be best.
3: Or Why Be a
1: Wife? Why Be was a Wife, yes. That,
3: that, was, that was really... That was um, Prue, in fact, in her kitchen, dressed in a scruffy old wedding dress doing the washing up, looking really, photo. really cross. Yeah, a photo. This is when we got a dark room, which I think would be 78... Is it in the book? Yeah, everything's in the book. Every single is, thing is in the book. Yes,
2: I think the the Jane one from the kids book mm. was very popular. This one, as well. yeah, massively yeah. popular.
1: So, could you describe it just for anyone who who can't? Well, no one can see this part of yeah. us, but it's that
2: kind of. Um... Well, it it's based on it is a ladybird book. Well, it is it is the the pictures are directly copied from, from uh, basically a kids book, Traced. which was a series a series called Peter and Jane. And they basically, the, the, the Peter and Jane were the names of the children. Mm. And here they're engaged in suitable activities for boys and girls so that Peter's mm. helping Daddy with the car and... Um, Jane's helping Mummy sweep up, mm. so it sort of says something like sweep, sweep, yep. and then Jane eventually thinks, "Stuff this!"
1: I can't believe that that well, I thought these. I thought you had drawn these. I thought no. they were taken straight traced. from the
3: book. Trace these traced. first three are traced. The last one we zoomed in on her face here. Yes, yeah, so her and look look made confused. her look a bit well, more cross. Yeah. we hoped actually, but uh, again, the fact that she's rejecting that um rather than just sort of mm. suffering it we thought was quite important and that she's vocalizing the fact that she says she says
2: it's about time i got myself out of these sexist books and started giving girls an example of all the other things we can do Great. And, and right and right, right on
3: right on jane yes we usually call it right on jane that one but it it's interesting now with the popularity of those mock ladybird books i know all over we'll the come shop come back yeah interesting isn't it I've still got that original Ladybird book as well, but we weren't allowed to use it because we were. The publishers were worried we might get sued.
1: Yes, there was a woman actually called Miriam Elia who made the first. feel mm-hmm. like this one. That's great. Girls yeah. are powerful. That
2: kind of connects with one of the tunes we were going to Indeed. do. Indeed.
1: Oh, okay. Maybe we could. Should we segue s- neatly into it or something? So,
3: so now, or yeah, we talk it about now. it now. So, what's this? If you could just this describe this is girls this are poster. powerful, and this was part of our positive. Type images, yes. kind of thing. Um, it shows basically uh, young women, various young women, um, doing interesting and lively things. Um, we used a colour blend as well. Um, it sort of. It took a long time to, to do the design, the layout actually. Mm. But what we've got here is Prue's daughter, Otty. We've got two young women here, Agnes and Agnes and Nikki, who are apprentices at Women in Print.
1: So that's is that images of them printing? That's
3: images of them
1: printing. So they're
2: printing, Offset jumping, lighting. taking pictures, playing pool and playing table tennis. And
3: taking photos. So these young women here were um, at the youth club that I worked in. Mm-hmm. We started a young women's night. Um, so that's images from that. So this is all our photos. But what we wanted to show is that basically, well, what we knew, but what what we wanted to get across is that women could young women can do anything they want to do mm-hmm. and it's really important that i mean that in when i started being a youth worker because we all had part time jobs to um to supplement the fact that we didn't get any money from CRED. red yeah. all the all the money we made went back into the the workshop and the supplies but i started um doing part time youth work printing t-shirts and that kind of thing um and in a youth club in South London, and it was ninety nine point nine percent young men
2: in oh. attendance.
3: But massively, a massive youth club. It was over a hundred, almost every night. Very popular, but um, there was no talk of a young women's night, etc. That came along a few years later after much um, pressure from the young women, from the women youth workers, and the occasional young women who came in. But it was very successful. Yeah, uh, it ran
2: for a, a short while. Um, I think that was a particularly um, popular poster as popular, well. I, mean, I think yeah. because of the kind of the youth clubs and girls groups and yeah. and probably quite a lot of feminists working in different places trying to really start things Definitely. up for young women and change things for the future, I guess, as well. Yeah, I
3: think the the the, the women who'd sort of come through the movement in the 70s um, had... Um, we're actually out there in roles doing things to change.
1: Um, OK, so how have you chosen songs Songstay? I've asked you to bring...
3: Yes, with great difficulty because yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we've come with many. a list of 20, but we've <laughs> now least. had to whiff, whittle it down. And that was a short list, 20, wasn't it?
2: We've got one each from each of us that did the book, which is me and Susie and also Prue and Jess. Mm-hmm. So we chose one each out of our various lists.
1: Let's go on to the song that you said was connected to um, the Girls Are Powerful poster. Did you say there was one that was kind of directly linked? We all agreed definitely that X-Ray
2: Specs should be in this. Definitely. And Susie's chosen <laughs> one.
3: Well, we thought we'd go with Warrior and Woolworths. Um, can't remember the date. It was just the whole LP um, um, was just fantastic. We loved it so much. So it's hard to choose whether to choose identity, whether mm-hmm. to choose... Um, Warrior and Woolworths, um, but we thought we'd go with Warrior and Woolworths. It's a fighting song, basically, yeah. and also it's about South London, um, and we like that too. Fantastic band. Um, fantastic band. Fantastic woman. Fantastic woman. Polystyrene. Yeah. Did you ever meet her? No. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely inspiring. Oh, totally. totally wonderful. Yeah. Okay, this is Warrior and Woolworths, and this is Polystyrene singing with X-ray Specs. <laughs>
1: mentioned polystyrene, but uh what what other women around maybe just London at the time were you kind of looking up to as people who were really getting like the right
2: thing across to people and kind of I don't know, who who were the big hitters? Could could maybe if we jump on, because mm. 'cause we've got a poison girls track in here, so maybe okay. if we jump on to that, although we weren't gonna sure. is that okay. I don't just mind anyways. as long as it's well, on our list. Yeah. The the one I chose as my choice of record was um yeah, I wanted to pick Take the Toys from the Boys by the Poison Girls. And Poison mm-hmm. Girls are absolutely amazing. And I first saw them just before I came down to London to work at Sea Red at a gig in Glasgow. And at that point, I think Vice versa, who was the lead singer, was about 42 mm-hmm. and she's the lead singer of a punk band. So that kind of seemed amazing because 42 seems quite young now, but at the time <laughs> didn't. Yeah, really. Um, and also I think that the song Take the Toys from the Boys um, which is released on an album called Where's the Pleasure in 1982, very much links into one of the posters we did um, about Greenham Common and about the women's peace camps. And, you know, all of us, I think, went to the demonstrations there. I mean, Greenham Common, I guess most people know, uh, but was set up in September 1981, initially by 36 women. By the following year, in December 1982, 30,000 women responded to... A call out to come and demonstrate at the, US, the USAF base where the nuclear cruise mis- missiles were going to be sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very important at that point that it was a women's demonstration and connecting into kind of feminist ideals alongside, you know, pacifism. Um, take the Toys from the Boys kind of makes a link very much with capitalism as well, so anti capitalism as well. and. Sort of the lyrics about take the toys from the boys, made a bomb out of cotton, take their hands off the guns, made a bomb out of coffee, and it sort of goes on and then links into the record business and says, get their minds off the money, got to make a killing, uh, made a bomb out of music, made a hit with a record, made a fool out of you. So it's kind of an amazing song. And and, and Vi just continued to be kind of absolutely inspirational and sadly passed away mm. last year. Mm. Um when, what I did after left Sea red was I started making films and actually was lucky enough to work with her on a music video f- oh, wow. for a real uh, track, different track, called Real Woman. But they were just very inspirational for combining music and politics, I think. and But I think linked into our Sea red ethos in terms of, you know, culture and politics coming together and working collectively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that track in particular, I just think's very inspiring in relation to... Yeah, the peace movement and Mm. the women's movement. Mm. Here's the Poison girls doing Take the Toys from the Boys.
5: Take the toys from the boys Take the bomb out of cotton Take the hands off the guns Take the bomb out of coffee Take the fingers off the trigger
4: The toys are gone, we made
5: them all. Take the toys from the boys, we got to make a living. Take the hands off the
4: guns, we got Take the toys From the
5: boys We made them all Take the toys From the boys Made a bullet
4: Out of rubber
5: Take their eyes Off the dials Made a cannon and water Get them minds off the money
0: We going make a killing Made a
4: bomb We made a bomb
5: Made a bomb out of cotton mm. Sugar made a bullet out of rubber, made a bomb out of music, made a hit with a record,
4: made a bomb. We made a
3: bomb. So, what's the next track you've you've got with us today? Police and Thieves, Junior Mervin, seventy. And we'll look for that. Um, <laughs> uh, Quietly thought,
1: Googling in the background. Googling away in the background. <laughs> See, in those days, we
3: would have had to write a letter to find out when it was <laughs> Well, we wouldn't have been able to. If we didn't have the LP to look at <laughs> and desperately search for a year on, that would be it. Um, yeah, this was very much of its era. Um, it was. It's, it felt particularly relevant living in South London, where um, the SUS laws were very, very oppressive, and also, living in Stockwell and working in Brixton, um you could actually see the effects of it. And the youth club I worked it was just round the corner from Brixton police station, mm. and also working with uh, in a youth club with young people, you would hear stories, et etc, of um random stops and searches, et cetera. Yeah. but also the whole feeling that uh, the um inequality that was being trying to be promoted in 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 England, basically. It wasn't just in London. We we're quite aware that there was um, a lot to protest about and that the black community was becoming very strong with their protests uh, on this whole area. So we wanted to acknowledge that. We also worked with um, some black women's groups and individual um, black women to design some of our posters of that era. Um, black women will not be intimidated. We included a lot of images In calendars, etc., but we wanted to raise the awareness that you know feminism wasn't just for white middle class women. Basically, it was. It came up from people who wanted to join the group who joined to make those posters, and that was we were part of that vehicle, if you like, Mm -hmm. um,
2: looking at promoting identity and also common interests like Mm. against when we were attacked by the NF and that that being a kind of threat that was around. Yeah, of
3: course. Um, So, can you please introduce the track? Yes, um, it's. Police and Thieves by Junior Mervin,
2: 1976. Great double. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
3: you, Anne. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. So that was Police and Thieves. Um, So that was track number four. So now I suppose we better just go on to the next one and sadly end it. I feel like maybe considering how difficult it was for you to pick these tracks and how good the selection is, I think you should come back and do like a longer mix of just all all the best feminist Mm. and protest songs in the world's
3: history. We'd love to. We'd like it to be broader than just feminist and protest. We'd like to also have the songs we love as well.
2: Dancing, uh, yeah. dancing songs. Dancing yeah, songs are very
3: important. Definitely. I mean, I think celebration and, and partying and being part of Absolutely. A, 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 a women's movement that wasn't just, um, you know, feeling angry and miserable all the time because yeah. there was always the angry stereotype, you know, yeah. the hairy legs, of dungarees, <laughs> short hair kind of stereotype, which was so yeah. tired But, you know, whatever, as Anne said, ages, you know, from the beginning, whatever you actually did where you get shouted at anyway if you weren't girly-looking enough. Yeah, go on. But you just
2: keep dancing, really. Absolutely. This is a choice from uh, Jess, who's one one of the collective members who did the book as well, and it's from an au pairs album called Playing With A Different Sex, which was actually released in 1981. And the au pairs were, uh, you know, band with a women lead singer uh, from the time... Um, who I, I think I guess like polystyrene. I think punk was quite important for women musicians. I mean I think that's quite well documented now. Mm-hmm. People talking about yes. the slits mm-hmm. and the raincoats and so on. So I guess the appears were part of the kind of slightly post-punk time. And on that album, there's a track called "It's Obvious," and the main kind of punchline in in the tune is "Equal but Different," which I guess by by about 1980 81 there would be young women coming through, picking up on feminist ideas from things like Spare Rib, from the feminist culture that was going kind of in this country and elsewhere. Um, And I I think that idea of being equal but different is definitely something that comes through in the posters. There's another track on that album, um, which is called Headache for Michelle. And again, the main kind of punchline lyric in that is, about the forces of control. So I think I think a lot of their tunes and the forces of control, it was really, it was, the actual song is about kind of um, areas where there'd been rioting in sort of 1981. So again, it fits in with some of the themes from Police and Thieves yeah. and about the kind of police clampdowns in those areas uh, as well afterwards. And that song specifically about kind of maybe an easier availability of drugs and so on. So there's, there's a whole lot of themes in some of those post-punk songs where there's kind of, you know, powerful women involved in those bands, which definitely link into some of the themes of the posters. This is It's Obvious by the au pairs.
6: you different, you're
0: different, but equal.
6: You're equal, but different. You're equal,
4: but different.
6: You're equal, but different, you're equal, but different, you're equal.
1: Okay, so I think, um, well, you've got to go to work and we've all got to get on and do other things now, so that's the end of the podcast. But I really would like you to come back in and play some music. I think that would be fantastic. Love to. Uh, Keep the one for a little bit longer. Um, And, yeah, I mean, anyone who's listening who um, is looking for a fantastic book for themselves, just come in and get this Sea Red Women's Workshop book, which is published by Four Corners. Four Corners have published some of the most beautiful, brilliant books um, in the past few years. They're a fantastic London book publishers and they've made just yeah, some fantastic stuff including this so yeah a fantastic gift for anyone or just for yourself an amazing book and yeah something to be really proud
3: of how does it feel about having the book out i mean it, it feels great we're really really pleased with the quality of the book is excellent yeah. the color reproduction fantastic oh, it's, amazing, isn't it? it's so accurate it's so glossy the
2: and, and design was fantastic as well yeah. the was a woman called Claire mason i think she's mm. made a really good job mm-hmm. of the design
3: and everything's in there: the calendars, sketches, uh, photos, as well as the actual posters. And people will know some of the posters; they won't know others at all. So we we just thought put everything mm-hmm. in rather than do any selection. I don't think they imagined it was going to be quite so big <laughs> when they lots, lots when of they people, started mm. asking about just the posters. They didn't realise there was everything That's else nice. as well. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. and lots of people have asked us about reprinting, but actually, I mean, all the posters are reproduced in the book. So. Yeah. I mean, there have been quite a few exhibitions and things that we've yeah. done, and yeah. talks and things. But actually, if people just want to be able to see the posters, um, that the, the book's got a really good record of everything, and we've got a website mm-hmm. as well, which you can look up at sea red women's workshop at wordpress dot com. I think. Something, Something like that. that. Well, but you, I'm sure if you can Google it. We've got a Facebook page now as well. So we you can finally entered Facebook, the 21st so. century. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> All the way from paper stencils and, and silk screen screen And writing to letters. To Facebook, yes. yes Amazing.
1: Mm. All right, well, thank you so much for coming in. That thank was fascinating. Thank you for having us. And, yeah, I'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you. thank you.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: Spend more time engaging with exciting music and less time having to find it. Rough Trade Club membership, available now via roughtrade.com forward slash membership.